Small Business Tip Show, Episode 12. Welcome to the Small Business Tip Show. I'm your host, Frank Thomas, and I also have Nancy Bovere with me today. We're going to be talking about entrepreneurship today. It's a big topic, and this is going to be a good one for you guys. So if you've been listening to the Small Business Tip Show for any period of time, we've been doing, uh, or I've been doing a lot of shows by myself, but Nancy and I have been talking back and forth, and I think it's a great idea to have her on the discussion. One of the most popular shows was one of the first ones I did with Nancy. So welcome, Nancy, to the show. Thanks very much, Frank. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm especially excited to talk about today's topic. Yes, entrepreneurship. It's something we uh, love, we're near and dear to. Nancy, tell me a little bit about your history as an entrepreneur. Well, I guess kind of I'm the accidental entrepreneur, which I think a lot of people are. Um, I started out of school. I got the typical job the corporate job I was going to work for a year and earn enough money to go back to university, which we know how that goes. Usually you end up working and you don't go back to university. Mm -hmm. So I I had a career of about uh, seven and a half years with one of the major banks here. And uh, then we had the recession of the 80s and I lost my job. Uh, Jobs were pretty scarce in those days. I I did end up, thanks to some of my connections with a, with a, a, a job, but it really was not only not very satisfying, it didn't pay very well. And I remember one day I thought, you know, I got to be able to at least make how much money I'm getting paid by these guys on my own. Mm -hmm. I was about 24 years old. And you know how we all are when we're 24, we can do anything and Mm -hmm. conquer the world. So I gave my notice and I just started phoning people randomly and The rest, as they say, is history. Excellent, yeah. Now, isn't that interesting that uh, we all get this little bit of a nudge of, well, all of us who become entrepreneurs, of course, get this nudge of, geez, I could do this better than my own, you know? Well, exactly. I mean, I I just looked at getting up early every day, driving, fighting traffic, going downtown, spending eight hours in a very unfulfilling job, uh, trying to pay the bills, and really taking home next to nothing. It was practically costing me to go to this job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Boy, can I relate to that one. And also, too, I think one of the things that entrepreneurship brings to the table is, is the fact that you can modify, you can change what you're doing, you can, you can, you know, explore venues you've never thought of exploring, and you can do it on your schedule in a lot of cases. Do you you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. I do think one of the biggest mistakes, I don't know if mistakes would be the right word, Um, misunderstandings perhaps would be a better word, of the entrepreneurship scene as far as I'm concerned, is everybody thinks that they won't have a boss. They get to call the shots and they don't have a boss. Well, the reality is that when you're an entrepreneur, you you get your business through your clients or, or by selling product and then your customers your customers become your boss yeah and that's kind of the if there's a dark side to entrepreneurship that is it no matter how you slice it or dice it entrepreneurship gives you certain freedoms but it also takes freedoms away and i can attest to the fact 
uh, as you have, Nance, that one of the things that go away is the fact that, you know, on Friday, you just get paid. You could have did a crappy job all week. You did it, could have did a great job all week. You're still going to get paid. And unless you do a really crappy job, then you're usually working for somebody else. But most times, nine times out of ten, you can literally do, you know, about four or five really strong hours of work in a week and still get paid on Friday. And and that's no lie. I tested this theory. I had read The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris, and he said that uh, one of the things he said was, you know, you could probably get everything you need to get done in a week in four hours, and you'll be like a rock star. And So I really started to prioritize my time, and I discovered I would spend one day tops, and I would get everything completed that I got completed before, and I found everything else that I did was just minutia. It was just time filler. Well, I guess that that was part of the awakening that I had as well. You know, I became very much aware that when I did have the nine to five kind of Monday to Friday job, certainly there were perks. You got the paid holidays and sick days and all that good stuff. But I kind of find myself, I'm a doer. I'm not good at the make work projects, the Mm -hmm. look busy stuff. And when I look back and I think of how much time was spent with the women in the office sharing recipes and talking about what they were going to do when they entertained on the weekend and, and things like that. And, and you're absolutely right. When I hunker down and, and get to work here, I, I'm, I'm always amazed at how much can get accomplished in such a short period of time because of that focus. And to be honest, I felt a little bit guilty when I first started this because I thought I must be doing something wrong or ripping off my customers or, or something. Yeah, exactly. Because I was, yeah, I was able to do so much, and yet I had to work eight hours a day, five days a week to get that same pay. And you're going to fill those hours one way or another. Exactly. You know, another thing I found, too, was uh, I was working. What happened was I was given a very unique opportunity before I became an op- entrepreneur, my last job that I had. And uh, it was I moved from a position that was a – like a middle, like it really wasn't management. It was it was very low management, high tech, and I moved into a management position. And it was a very unique um, situation where I was able to build my own shop, bring my own people in, kind of call my own shots. So it gave me a taste of entrepreneurship, um, almost like um, with a safety blanket. I was still going to get paid on Friday. Right. And one thing I discovered was was the fact that you know, I, I worked really hard, and I, 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 I really enjoyed it. And I found I had these tasks that needed to get done, and there was a lot that needed to get done. And I found that I was very stimulated by that. I felt that, wow, this is great because i got all these things to do. And I actually had one, one of my workmates who was another manager of another one of the sections actually came to me one day, and he kind of pulled me aside, and he said, you know, Frank, you know? I, I, I'm like, what? He said, you know, you're working too hard. <laughs> and I and I said to him, well, what do you mean? I, I've got lots to do. He says, no, you're making the rest of us look bad. Exactly. And I was actually kind of startled by that, you know. And I lo- have looked back on that situation, and believe it or not, it, when you're working for somebody, there is a status quo. Exactly, yeah. I had that same experience, more or less. When you're Now, when you're working for yourself, it's a totally different ballgame. You, when you truly become an entrepreneur... Now there's no safety blanket. Now there's no, you know, there's no sucky bottle. Like you, if if things go bad, 
things go really bad. And that's kind of what we really want to dig into in this show is how do you deal when the entrepreneur becomes a dreaded word in your vocabulary? One thing that right. uh, one thing that Nancy and I were talking about, you and I were talking about, Nancy, uh, we had you had created this word called, and I can never say it right. It's a tongue twister for me. Truership. How do how do you say that? True, truepreneurship. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me uh, why why this saying. Well, it's kind of a a blend between the concept of entrepreneurship and and kind of an authenticity to it because I, I know that there are certainly a segment of our society that always does want to have that job and that's wonderful, that's perfect, they don't want the headaches and we certainly, our, our society thrives on those people. But I think at some point almost everybody thinks, gee, wouldn't it be great Tell the boss mm-hmm. to stick it, and I can go off, and, and gee, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I can be my own boss. I, I call the shots. I'm the master of my destiny, and all these dreams that go in your head. And, and then you become an entrepreneur, and you find out that, yeah, you call the shots, and you're your own boss. But along with that, you become the accountant, you become the sales division, you become the marketing division, you become the everything. The collection agency, everything, yes. Exactly, and it, and it can be difficult to juggle all those balls at once and to know how and where to prioritize those tasks on the totem pole. And I can attest to the fact that it's really easy all of a sudden to fall back into just worker B mode and fill eight hours. And all of a sudden you look at you've gotten to the end of your day, the end of your week, the end of your month, and you've got no billables. Well, you know, Frank, I have been an entrepreneur since, like I say, since I was 24. And aside from a little segue into the federal government level for about a year and a half, um, I have been an entrepreneur all along. And I cannot tell you how many times I've, found those plum contracts, the mm-hmm. two or three con- contracts that are awesome and you get along great with the people and you're, you're, you're doing your role and you're having fun and you're being paid on time and life is a bowl of cherries. Mm-hmm. And then the contract comes to an end. Mm-hmm. And you've been so busy fulfilling that contract that you haven't had any time as an entrepreneur a sole proprietor to go out there and dig up more work. So now all of your gains suddenly start dwindling because now you're putting all your effort into finding that next contract. That's right. You literally have to, you have to, I remember reading in a book, you have to have that string of leads, that string of constant work coming in to keep you in a place uh, of that. You don't fall into that place where all of a sudden everything ends and then you're like okay well what do I do now you know it was pretty good for the summer but now it's the winter time and I'm cold you know well that's exactly right and that's one of the things that that I think is is key is again when you're organizing and structuring your day you have to make sure that you allocate time if not every day at least two or three times a week that you are going to chase some leads mm-hmm. yeah I have to totally agree with you or, you know, another thing, too, is one thing I've discovered is that, and I've mentioned this on the show before, but be, 
you, you need to be working for other people, but you need to be working for yourself as well. That is what makes an entrepreneur different from just an employee. You know, the employee doesn't need to work for himself. He just needs to work for the guy he's working for. You need to work for yourself. In other words, you have to be building new leads, building new ideas, building new opportunities so you can step into those. I've been actually working really hard over the summertime on an an opportunity that hasn't paid me a cent yet, but I have been working and, 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 and I've been bringing in people to, you know, start generating interest. Uh, it's on a piece of software I've been building and, um, and that's an important thing, too. There's so many things we could talk about, is the fact of bringing in the right people. I actually brought this fellow in uh, out of the States who um, he had the contacts. He had lots of good information in this field. And I said to him, tell you what, I'll write the software. You put it together. You put together the, the deal. And we'll, right. go, we'll, we'll go on a partnership on this. And we shook hands on it. And, you know, true to his word, they're ready to roll. They're ready to start selling this product, and I got to get it finished. <laughs> uh, so, in the meanwhile, everything else is suffering. But the the nice thing about it is, is it, it you were talking about these jammy things. I actually believe this is going to be one of those jammy things where it could put six months to a year in in the business account for me to to work on the next project, the next thing. And uh, because I'm finding right now, there's a lot of things, a lot of contracts I've been working on that seem to be coming to a close. You can, you, after a while, you and you must agree, Nance, you can see, you might have a real deadline, like they might say October 1st, this is all finished. But then you can feel the climate in the air and you know that things are starting to wrap up or things are starting to change or people are changing their minds. Something's happening that this contract is going to come to an end. Yeah, every project has a life cycle. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Now, let me ask you a question. One thing that I have discovered as an entrepreneur is that we don't come out of the uh, out of the womb with this head of knowledge that we just know everything right to do. Like, you know, oh, I know I need to take this contract over this one, or I need to do this thing over this because this is going to make me successful. I find nine times out of ten. I've got to make a mistake to make a success. Absolutely. I mean, how, how do we learn anything? Even, even as a baby, when you're learning to walk, do you get up and, and you run a marathon? No, you, you get up and you fall, and then you get up and you fall, and you get up and you take a couple steps. Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing happens, I believe, with the entrepreneurship. You have to, you have to go out there and try something and, and see how it works right. and see how efficient and how effective you can make it is more or less kind of like doing market research. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, Frank, I, I know that a lot of people talk about those as failures. I don't like to look at them as failures because the only time that you fail is if you don't learn mm-hmm. from what you've done. Mm-hmm. Failure indicates that, you know, there's, that's it, that's done. Put it deep six that as opposed to, okay, let's take a look at that. What did work and what didn't work, and now how do we make it better? Exactly. You know, one thing I've discovered, too, is that that with that in mind, there really is no failure in that you, maybe what you the end result that you were hoping for didn't occur. You still got something from it, and you can still use it in other places. Well, you and I, when we were talking, Frank, we were talking, wasn't it Thomas Edison? Mm-hmm. With the light bulb, he had 
6,000 attempts before it finally worked, something yeah, like that? Yeah, he had a pick between him and his crew, it was five to 6,000 attempts uh, before he got the light bulb. Now, the interesting thing was he had an idea that of creating electric companies. This is something a lot of people don't realize. The light bulb was a product of that electric company. He wanted to sell electric companies because it was a brand new concept. And he thought, what better way to show to the world what my electric companies can do other than creating light. So that's mm-hmm. why he was so fixated on creating a light bulb. And uh, that was the beginning. And he actually used that as his advertisement. He took, a, I can't remember, Chicago or Boston or whatever. He lit up the main, the, uh, the, like one of the main parks uh, to illustrate the, the benefit of the electric company. But to illuminate people. To illuminate people to his idea. <laughs> and you know something? He really, he was, he was throwing the dice. He had no guarantees. It's easy for us to look back and go, well, well you know, Thomas Edison, come on, the father, the light bulb, and all these things. Nobody, a lot of people don't realize he actually got into mining, and he was an utter failure. He had millions of dollars from his... His electric companies, he invested it into mining and lost it all. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, he he could have went, oh, I suck and this is terrible and I'm rotten and I just have no idea and I should just put a gun to my head. And if he, he actually went to his partner and said, well, we're broke, but boy, it was a good ride, wasn't it? <laughs> well, Frank, and I think that's what differentiates the truepreneurship. Mm. The, the, the wannabe for lack of a better phrase, the wannabe entrepreneur is somebody who goes out there and kind of like the grasshopper and the ant and is is having a lot of fun as long as everything's going well. But as soon as things crater, they run back to that safety net because they feel, like you say, I suck, poor me, all that. The entrepreneur dusts themselves off and says, well, that was a ride. Now what do we do? Exactly. That's the point exactly. Another thing, too, is I think um, wannabe entrepreneurs need to understand that that entrepreneurship, business in general, is like a dance. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. And that is the natural, uh, that's the way things happen. You know, when I first started working on a software product, I thought in about a week or two, I'd get it out, it'd be out, ready to go. But as the project grew in scope and as it became a much better product, it's almost three months and it's not done yet. And it frustrates me. It, I, I'm not going to lie. It frustrates the daylights out of me. But I also know but because I've been showing progress to the partners involved that they're, they're like, this is perfect. This is great. And the thing is, it just works. And that's more important to me. And that's something I, my, I illustrate because one of the partners got very... Um, he he became to get um, antsy. He was getting. He was like, "Come on, I want to get this done." And I eventually came to him and said, "I'd rather have a good product that's late, yep, than a a, a poor product that's on time." Yeah, get it right. Because at the end of the day, people are going to remember how good the product was, not what data got released on. Exactly. So. Exactly, and that's that's a, an important thing to to keep in mind as well is. As an entrepreneur, everything that you do has your name and your reputation attached to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people and, remember. They have long memories, I tell you. And people remember poor results rather than the good results. For everybody that complains about a product or service, there are hundreds 
of people that were satisfied. But it's the people who are satisfied that don't take the time to write in those poor reports, those poor reviews. It's the it's the unhappy people that are writing the negative reviews. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. It's interesting, too. Um, there is a spokesperson who har- puts himself out for hire to do um, videos in a certain niche, and he is like the spokesperson for that product. And he char- I'm sure he charges a pretty penny. Now, it, I've, what happened was he was a spokesperson for a product that I'd picked up, and the product was terrible. And guess what? Mm. Every time I see him in as a spokesperson for another product, and it could be a completely different person, I won't buy the product. Right. And right, it, because now it's tainted. Yeah, for me, it's tainted. For me, it's like, even though he has nothing to do with the development of the product, I feel like, oh, you're a shyster. You know, like, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. And it could be the best thing in the planet, you know? Well, you know, that, that raises a point, too. One of my clients right now is is trying to launch a new app. And when he first brought me on board, it was supposed to launch about the middle of July. Now we're looking at probably the middle of October. Mm-hmm. And he's certainly getting frustrated as well. And I don't, I don't blame him. The people, the people who are developing the app, he kind of gets shuffled. They're down in the States, so it's hard for him to get down there and, and force them to do things. But, but again, I mean, we are prepared at this point to start doing some promotion because we, we do want people to sign up for the app. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you do a pre-launch because you have to start advertising before something actually comes out. You don't want to do it too soon because then you lose, you lose the momentum. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to do it too late because you want already to have a certain beta element on board to start working with the product right away out of the gate. So, so back to that dance. We're planning on starting the promotion tomorrow. Um, that's all predicated on on the belief that these guys are finally going to have the app ready for the consumer by the middle of October. Gotcha. And, you know, that's good, though, too, because it puts a hard deadline in because now you're making a promise. I know when Brenda and myself, my Brenda's my wife, uh, for any listeners who are interested, um, we had first entered into internet marketing, oh, roughly eight, nine years ago, and we went and took this big course, and it was a great course. But the whole pretense was is they got you online, they had you build a product, and you were selling the product. I couldn't get the product done in the time frame they wanted, and we worked hard. That was a hard week of work because we were in class all day and up all night working on the homework because that was that we wanted to get. It was a very expensive course, and we wanted to get every cent out of that course. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually on when when I think it was Thursday or the Friday because it was a one week intensive course. We still didn't have the product finished. We were still about only halfway through, mm-hmm. and um, they came to us and said, uh, "Well, you're going to pre-launch then." Uh, what can you do that? And that's exactly what we did. We pre-launched and we started taking sales Saturday morning. And on the premise that, you know, people who purchased ahead of time, they saved, I think it was $10 off the price. And we would uh, send them the product once it was completed. And we promised completion um, 14 days after the fact. And we actually did really well. Like we did, unfortunately we were using AdWords and I didn't fully understand AdWords at the time, so we were bleeding money like crazy in advertising, but we still made a lot of sales, and it proved that pre-launches do work. Right, as long as you stick to that that, uh, deadline, though, I think. I know that these app developers at one point, about um, 
gosh, probably about a month ago now, they they told my client, you know, get out there and, and, and just start just start telling people now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't have anything. Well, they didn't even have the autoresponder for for signups working from from the uh, mail autoresponder. Mm. And I, I I said to my client, you know, I I am dis- disagreeing with them on this point. You only have one chance to make a first impression. Exactly. And if somebody signs up and they don't even get any confirmation that they've signed up or any kind of response, they're going to tell a whole bunch of people and, and nobody's nobody's going to trust the app when you are ready to launch. Exactly. People want to see a certain degree of competency, even if you're not done. And, you know, even if, even if uh, you have to delay the launch, as long as you keep people in the circuit and you and you provide them value along the way, it's amazing. It's amazing how people will respond. One thing that I've been, and I'm actually, as we're talking, I'm thinking about this now, about this very specific example. Uh, the product we're launching is going to be selling for $1,000, so it's not a cheap product. It's a good product. And uh, what, we're, what we were thinking of doing was within this inner circle, which would be a really good pre-launch, was to sell it for $700, so three, like you know, 30% off the kick. Mm-hmm. And um, they would become, and they would know that they would be getting, you know, pre-release software. You know, this is the pre-release software, and you'll get all the bells and whistles as they're released. But you are also beta testing. That's why you're getting it 30% off. You know, right. Become part of the, the team that puts together the best XYZ software in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. Help us make it better. Mm-hmm. So... Let me ask you a question, Nancy, and this is, this is a, to me, is an interesting question. How do you handle, you know, our emotions are there, our emotions are real, and our, you know, the, the nights can be long, and our emotions run rank when, when you're tired. Let's say you're working on a contract, or let's say, you know, the bills are due, or, and let's say your mindset just goes south. How do you handle that? Like, what, what have you found there were things that helped you, you know, kind of pull your boots up and, you know, lace them back up and hit that road again? Uh, Again, I think this is something that evolves over time and exposure to it. I remember in my early, early days of entrepreneurship, I was living on my own and paying all my own bills and doing everything, didn't have a roommate, didn't have a husband, didn't have a live-in boyfriend, none of that. And I had maxed out my credit cards. I I don't like to borrow from anybody, but I had borrowed a little bit of money from my parents. There's no way I would have gone back and asked them for any more. And it was like, I think it was about three days before rent and everything was due. And I was just, I was having a fit. I was panicking. um, I wasn't sleeping. And I just suddenly got this big calm come over me. And it was like, well, so you have enough to pay your rent, but you don't have enough to pay all your bills. If you're a little bit late paying the electricity, they're not going to shut you off. If you miss one credit card payment, they're not going to cancel your accounts. You're not going to have a, 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 a credit rating in the toilet. And it's amazing. As soon as I realized that life wouldn't come to an end, I had this big calm and everything worked out. I don't even remember how now, but I ended up getting enough money somehow 
contract came through, something came through, and I had enough money to pay everything. But it was the, the letting go of that angst. And, you know, i got to be honest, there's been times over the years since then that I've had the, the odd moment but for the most time, most part, I just have faith that it's all going to work out. And worst case scenario, if I need to get away, I'm a big mountain girl, and I just get my hiking boots, and I head off to the mountains, and I'm perfectly grounded, and I come back, and I'm refreshed, and I've got a total new outlook, and that's where I get, that's where I get my solace. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good point, too, is the fact that you have that outlet for you know, this is where I feel completely in touch with who I am, where I am, and who I am. And I can come back feeling better. And I can look at this. And I know I've come to that situation too, you know. My history is just littered. Like, I got out into the entrepreneurial world. I I uh, had a lot of seed capital to start with. And I, I can tell you, viewers, that after five years, I was busted. And uh, scratching my head, wondering why this was not working out the way I thought it was going to. And uh, I remember one fitful day where I was literally just falling apart and thinking, you know, what what else could happen? What You know, what else could happen? And I got cancer right behind it, you know. And it, it was all the stress. I'm sure it was all the stress of what I was doing. And I didn't find that outlet. I just continued right. pummeling at it and pummeling at it and pummeling at it. And my wife will attest that I was working 25-hour days trying to make this work. And the harder I tried to make it work, it was almost like trying to get a date for the prom. The harder you try, the more you're going to go to the prom by yourself. And um, I had to come to that place where I was like, you know something? The bank doesn't want to own my house. The credit card companies will pay. You know, I've had creditors phone me. It's not really a big deal. You know, they'll phone you up and they're like, hey, you haven't paid. And I said, and I eventually came to this place where I'm like, you know something? If you need to foreclose, then do so. Mm, yeah. If you need to, then just do so. If you need to, if you need to uh, take me to court, then do so. But I will make this promise to you. When I get paid, you'll get paid. Well, when are you going to get paid? And I would say, you know something? I don't know. I'm working hard. Uh, and I kind of came to this place where it was like, you know, I'm going to honor my bills. And I did. I've never, ever went into foreclosure. I've never went in bank into bankruptcy. All my bills were paid. And I look back now. And I've had these tough times, you know, and they come and they go. And that's one thing that an entrepreneur needs to learn, that you know, you're going to have tough times. If you're not having tough times, you're doing something wrong. You know, like, wait for it. It's going to happen. And But you're also going to have times of harvest where you're doing really really well now this is not the time to go yahoo let's go to the bahamas this is the time to put the money in the business account decide what you need to earn to survive have a little bit of fun of two of course and then you try to make that capital last so you now you have freedom because i find that when i have capital in the bank i have freedom I have the freedom to start to, not to goof off, but to investigate new uh, vistas that I could not look at before because I have an expression, keeping the wolves from the door, like, you know, you got to get those bills paid. Uh, I, the wolves are not at the door right now. And now I have a little bit of creative freedom to explore. And this is one of the things I was doing over the summertime. I have a little bit of creative freedom. The business has been doing really well. And... Um, uh, it's cost me. I'm not going to lie. It has cost me. I didn't make as much during this time. Uh, but I also used money that I had saved up in the account 
to kind of cover us through this developmental period? Well, an important takeaway from from this from that story, Frank, for the listeners is you don't want to wait till your health makes you take a break, bit, bit of a break, because that's hardly a break. I mean, undergoing chemotherapy is hardly what you'd call a break. No. It, it, it's just a lot of work, but in a, in a far harder, far more intense fashion. So, so find that balance. When you find that you're getting overwhelmed, find that thing that gives you balance, that lets you stop for a minute, whether it's meditating whether it's going to the mountains, whether it's going bowling, I don't care what it is, but get your head away and out of the game for a minute because you'll be surprised at how your subconscious can be totally creative while you're in a different place. Yeah, I'm not in my and head you're, as you're talking, and you're right. <laughs> yeah, and when, and when you're not obsessed by that issue, you can come back and, and there'll be a new a new direction, a new way to approach that problem mm-hmm. will reveal itself to you. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I've learned to do too is, uh, you know, especially when develop- developing a program, that sometimes you'll get stuck and you just got to walk away. You just have to walk away and, you know, let it cook away in the back of your mind, not really think about it. And I've had many flashes of inspiration like, ah, oh, I know how to do it now. And exactly. I was, I got the inspiration while I was having fun with my kids or fooling with a dog or teasing the cat or, you know, going on a date with my wife, all of a sudden, boom, it's there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's really good. That's really good. So what, what, what could be a takeaway? I know that's a really good takeaway for our listeners, but you know, another takeaway that we really didn't get a chance to touch into was, um, how to minimize the chances of failure. And this is something that I see a lot of entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs do. And it drives me crazy. Every time somebody comes to me with an idea, and I have a lot of people come to me with ideas all the time, and I'll say to them, sell it. Yeah, but I haven't got copyright on it. I haven't got it protected. Sell it. It's not worth anything until you sell it. And what I'm saying to them is not to sell their idea to somebody else, but sell the idea of their idea to somebody else. If you can get somebody who's willing to give you money to, to get into your idea or to, and it could be in an investment capacity. It could be, um, I had one entrepreneur come to me with a piece of software and I said, find your prospective customer and sell it to him. Then you know you've got something. And he didn't do that. He, he wouldn't do that. He was too frightened to do that because he, he was too engaged in the idea of the product. I said, before you invest 50000 or $100,000, sell the stinking idea to somebody and sell it again, and sell it again. Once you've got four or five sales, then you know you've really got something here. And now, now two things occur. First of all, you've got seed capital. And second, you've got customers. And, you know, a lot of people don't agree with me, but I have found this to be the most profitable way to to make an idea sell. And... I think- I think there's a couple of I think there's a couple of issues here that that people come up against with that Frank. I think that you made a very valuable a valuable point for our listeners here when you were talking about finding your partner in the states who you can develop the software because that's your strongest skill set mm-hmm. and he has the connections that's his strongest skill set. So you partnered on that without being greedy or without fear of losing too much of the pie. And I think that that's one of the reasons why entrepreneurs, I think, or would-be entrepreneurs, won't do that 
is because they want it all themselves. I know I know a fellow who had um, a patent. This is, gosh, at least a dozen years ago. He had a patent on some new kind of breast pump or something like that. And his patent was coming due. And Playtex, of all people, had approached him to to buy his, his idea, his patent. And I don't remember what they were going to give him, 2%, 5%, 8%, whatever it was of sales. And he turned it down because he was greedy. Yeah. And he, wanted, he wanted it all and he mm-hmm. lost his patent and nothing happened. So, you know, 100% of nothing, no matter how you slice it, is nothing. Exactly. And that is something I've kind of realized. I had somebody argue with me, and it's funny you mentioned this partner. And, you know, and that's how I sold this idea. And this is in my mind how I sold the idea. They actually brought, he brought the idea to me. And I was like, well, I could do that, you know. And so what he did is he turned around and he looked for viable people. Now, now one of the partners that he has approached, uh, actually, we, not, they're not a partner to us, but they're more of a, a major customer to us. Well, we can write that software faster and better. And, you know, and we had a meeting and this is what this guy said to me. And I said, well, fill your boots then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fill your boots. I'm still doing it. Right. He never did it. <laughs> yeah. And now he's yeah. waiting for the product. And that's right. the point. And sure, somebody can come along and steal your idea, but you know something? You need to make sure that you you got something because in our own minds, it's easy to think we have something and we really don't have anything. Well, um, competition is competition is healthy. I mean, uh, how many fast food places sell burgers? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you know, you just have to make sure that you've got the most effective burger. Yeah. And not the I didn't say the best burger. I said the most effective burger. Yes. Yeah, you just have to get the get the people to buy in. Now, the the second thing I, I made the point about not being greedy mm-hmm. to 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 share your idea and not be greedy because two percent, five percent, ten percent, eighty percent of something is better than hundred percent of nothing. The other thing, Frank, you've heard me say this a million times. One of my favorite sayings in my marketing world is to murder your darling. Mm-hmm. I think that that is at the core of what you had said about how some people just won't do it because they're too attached. That idea, that concept becomes their darling. Yep. And as long as they can romance it in their own mind, it's their perfect darling. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they put it out there, if people find fault and it's not this wonderful thing, they have to murder their darling. And, and I think they're afraid of letting go of their brilliant idea, their brilliant concept. You're exactly right. You know, one of the things, too, is people get too attached to what they're doing. And, and this is how I've looked at this murder, your darling, as well, is they become too emotionally attached to their perfect idea. Re- in reality, there is no perfect idea. And somebody else could come along and say something and totally make you shift, change gears if you're willing to listen. I have told people forever when I'm working on a project, regardless of what the project is, if you don't like it, tell me. Don't right. hum and ha. Tell me what's wrong with it, and I'll fix it. It and doesn't mean that it might not hurt your feelings. <laughs> it might not mean that you'd say, oh, I thought that this was great in your own head. But in order to make something better, yes, it has to evolve. I Well, I've come to this place where it actually it doesn't bother me too much anymore. <laughs> I, I, I believe that they're actually making what I'm doing better and because right. I found that. I was working on a product uh, years ago. Somebody approached me and said, hey, can we do this? And I went, sure. 
I'm, in, my mind, I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea how to do right now, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's another entrepreneur skill. <laughs> <laughs> Making something out of nothing, yes. Yep. And uh, what I did was I figured it out. And um, I chatted with them and they helped me price it out. And they priced it much higher at a much higher value than I would have. Now, if I'd have listened to my own insides, I would have sold this product for $500. I listened to them and I sold it for $2,000. And now what did that do? It allowed me to launch a product because what I did is I took 100% of the profits on the first sale because they guaranteed the first sale to me. Hmm. And when I got the check, I took 100% of the profits and I bought enough equipment to buy 10 of the darn things. Right. And that's, I launched that product and I sold that product for a number of years and I did really well on it because it was right product, right time, right place. But I was willing to listen to their critiquing. They, I was willing to listen to what they, the customer wanted. Uh, you know, one thing that's always stood out in my mind is, um, you know, if, if there's any one um, business that should really know their business is book publishers. But in reality, book publishers hope for one bestseller out of 10 that they publish. You know, and or 100. It, or 100. <laughs> you know, actually the numbers are closer to 20 to 25 books that they publish. One will be like the, they'll say these ten all look like bestsellers, and one of them takes off, and they exactly, can they can yeah. never guess which one it is, right? You know, and the fact of the matter is, no matter how well we know our industry, how well we know everything, we still don't know what's in going on inside the mind of the customer. We have or no what idea. or what can happen that shifts the focus exactly. We have absolutely no idea, and I think that's a big point to take away. Um, but I have to say, we're I, to be honest with you, we're, we're running out of time, Nancy. We're gonna have to yeah, save, exactly. We're gonna have to save all the good stuff for the next show. I think so. I think we could have gone on here for at least another hour, but we're running <laughs> out of time. Nancy, thank you. Um, so make Thanks, sure, you, yeah, make sure you stay tuned to the Small Business Tip Show. Nancy, uh, you want to tell us your website so that they can our listeners can come visit. Sure, it's www.agapimarketing.com. That's A-G-A-P-I marketing.com. And of course, the smallbusinesstipshow.com. Be sure to come by and visit, sign up, and you'll get a special report that I have for you today. Again, thank you for listening, and make sure you stay tuned to the next Small Business Tip Show.